Um, and like an introduction to the introduction. I was thinking about Seth um, praying and singing, uh, taking time to come together even when it gets more and more difficult and it's dark and it's going to get cold and, um, and all sorts of things. Um, but uh, also being reminded that we can, we are actually allowed to gather uh, work. If we lived just uh, 20, uh, 40 kilometers north, we wouldn't be allowed to gather. Or if we were in a place where we were not just, we were just not allowed to gather because we weren't allowed to gather if you believe in Jesus. Um, I think it's something just to, at least for me, just to continue to be thankful for, uh, despite all the complications and despite all the things that are different from, from just half a year ago, when we took all of these things for granted, <laughs> all of us never thought about, oh, what if we can't meet or what if we can't do this? Um, that's just an encouragement. And also, if we, also as we we're looking to chapter 6, um, uh, it's just before we go into chapter 6, just we can clarify some things of like, um, because I don't want to hear you guys, uh, I don't want you guys to hear me say, uh, just try harder, uh, do better, uh, and, and just work harder. Because I don't think that's what the chapter's about. Um, and I had a, I had a, I had a, I've been taking a class in biblical interpretation, and we talked something about what is the sermon supposed to do. And so there's all these technical things a sermon is going to do. And, uh, there's this, uh, this is bent towards me or anybody else that, that oh, if I could just bring something new. And say something really interesting. I could say something, but I, I'm not sure that those things are in the long run super interesting, and oftentimes not so certain either. Uh, so today you're not going to hear me say anything new, and most Sundays you won't hear me hear me say anything new. Um, but I will try, just like I said in the course. Well, isn't the sermon also supposed to show? and encourage the listeners in how beautiful Christ is. And so I got, uh, I got a thumbs up from the, <laughs> from the teacher, so I was like, hey. Okay. Um, so that's also what we are here for. And I was just, I'm, I'm gonna say it again, I'm really thankful, despite my own attitude sometimes, that we take time to come here. Because I am reminded by you and other people of how beautiful Christ is when it gets dark and annoying or things don't go the things the way we want, it's so good to have one another. I mean, not just Sunday, but also throughout the week to help one another and encourage one another. Point to what is, what is the truth. So that was just uh, my introduction. Uh, chapter 6, uh, I, named, uh, I named it A New Crisis in the Church. And despite that, the Word of God keeps increasing. And we'll see more persecution. We're also going to see, which I thought was a really good point by some commentator, that that uh, the way the way uh, Luke does things is that he he sneaks in presentations of people 
And so today we're gonna, he's gonna sneak in a presentation of Stephen and Philip. So today we're gonna read from uh, chapter six and through the chapter. Today is gonna be so short and next time it's gonna be really long. So we'll look at it next time. No, no reason in worrying about today or tomorrow because today has enough words in itself. Jesus said at some point. All right, so let's read from let's read from chapter six. Now these things. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, complained by the Hellenistic Hellenistics rose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of a spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said had pleased the whole gathering. And they choose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Mechor, and Timion, and Par Parnas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These men, <clears throat> these they said before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and multiply. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly in, 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 instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the, of the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth has destroyed this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, so, uh, and uh, just, uh, just a head start note, and I've said it before, and if, if, uh, if this was uh, a re-edited history of the church, uh, this is probably one of the sections we wouldn't put in. If Luke wasn't reporting the truth, then why on earth would he put in a conflict between two fractions in the church that actually could have some racial tension and l at least language tensions in it? So I think... Luke putting it, it is in this underscores the authentic, authenticity of the Bible, that this is not something that's being made up, because why would you make up conflicts in the church 
that's probably not going to give you more uh, more followers. Um, but there is a conflict. Uh, the Greek-speaking Jews um, complain that their widows are being neglected. And so they, this, uh, they, this thing comes to the apostles. They call a church meeting of uh, apparently around 5,000 or more and 5,000 people gathered together. They are saying, the apostles are saying, okay, we understand that this is an issue, uh, but you need to appoint somebody else to take care of this. So upon seven men that are uh, full of wisdom and full, what are they? They are full of, um, and they have to be a good report. It has to be somebody you trust and somebody other people trust, full of the spirit and of wisdom. People who can, uh, people who are gifted logistically as well, that they are able to distribute fairly among the different groups. We can go into a long discussion about who the Greeks are and all stuff. So that, and if you're interested, I will gladly tell you, but I don't think it is of the utmost relevance at this point. Other than we know that there's, there's uh, something that's potential to create a rift and a, a conflict in the church, to actually rip the church apart. This is something Satan would love for this, to blow up the whole church. But it doesn't. It actually doesn't. The opposite happens. They pick out these men, they bring them before uh, the apostles. The apostles, they, we see this sign for the first time in Acts, they lay their hands on them, they pray for them, and they put them out. Uh, they don't put them out. They, they send them out into this new service. And, and the disciples saying, oh, we are not going to uh, serve tables. This is not because this is less of an important task. No, it's because they were charged in the beginning with the teaching and the preaching. So they need to continue to do that. They invite other men in, and what is we're going to see with Philip and Steve, uh, Stephen, that their tasks are definitely not less worth than their apostles. And we also see that they don't just serve tables. They go out and spread the word as well. So this is not like, okay, if you are good, then you can be the one that prays and speaks and teaches. And if you are not so good, then you can do others. No, this is a matter of gifting and how, how, how you're gifted and how God's going to use you. So this is not like saying, oh, one thing is better than another. No, it's, easy. It's, about what, it's about what God has made of gifts and abilities in us. And it creates the notion of everybody has a place in the body and there's not one that's better. Depends on what we're made for. And so, so we have this, this rift and this thing that could have destroyed the church and Satan had a fantastic time. But instead of the thing is solved and it results in... Oh, I forgot to... Sorry about that. I forgot to shift... Um, but, but instead of creating a rift, it actually enhances. The, con the, the conflict turns into something that is an opportunity for to grow, and they actually do. Seven more people are choosing to serve, and they're commissioned, and they grow the church. And we see that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then we hear 
many of, many of even the priests become obedient to the faith. And so these people are, some people say, that the priests, they might have heard their sermons over and over again because they were preaching in the temple before the persecution. So that after hearing more and more, oh, okay, so more and more hear this, and they keep, and they keep, and they turn and believe in Jesus. So the thing that could have destroyed the church gets resolved. More people are serving, more people are sent out, more people get to know Jesus. Um, then we have Stephen, and we follow Stephen, so he's not just a distributor of, uh, to the to the to the widows. No, he's full of grace and power, and he does great wonders and signs. So it's not it's not just wonders and signs. It's great wonders and signs he done as does among the people. Well, we've seen that when you do great wonders and signs, you're not necessarily going to be very popular, like we saw last week. So him doing great wonders and signs, and as we're going to see in chapter seven. He does not keep his mouth closed. He will debate with the Jews who Jesus is. So he gets known by all these factions of people. And so the people from the synagogue of freedmen, the Sinians, the Alexandrians, and then... Jesus like Thank you. So he, he gets... He gets confronted by all these people because he's doing all these wonderful signs, but he's also engaging in dialogue and debate with these people. So he's so he is not becoming very popular. He's actually becoming quite unpopular. But the issue that the people has is that they can't withstand. They can't. They can't in a debate. In a debate with him, straight up, they cannot refuse him. They cannot explain. Their faith is better, <coughs> better than his. They cannot like say, okay, but what you're saying is not true. Um, and so nowadays when that happens, I don't know if you've been on the thing called the internet, uh, sometimes when people debate back and forth, it becomes, as soon as somebody doesn't know what to say, they just start calling other people names. Start calling other people names or stupid or something. Just a little bit of a hint, if you're in a discussion and you start saying stuff like that, you lost the discussion. Like if you start calling the other person names or you start calling them like down or stupid or like, then you've lost because you're, you're like, your arguments aren't really, other people aren't really buying your arguments. Uh, but that's, that's, a, that's in our civilized, civilized world behind the screen, we just, Engage in these strange things. Um, it's a little more on the direct side here, and we're gonna see. Uh, yeah, we're gonna see what we've seen the pattern before, and when you read six and seven, it's very. It reminds. It can reminds. It can remind us of something. It's very close to what happens to Jesus. They don't really know what to say to win the arguments. So they have to have to come up with false witnesses to charge Stephen. So that's actually what happens. They, they secretly, and they, they, I mean, this is just like, um, 
I think in our day, we'd be like, how can they do this? Like, how can they just, like, form a mob and then drag the guy to the courts? Well, I mean, we've seen it before. Um, we've seen it actually, this is the third time. So, they can't withstand him. He's full of race and he's full of power. They can't withstand him, so they form a coalition and then they instigate other people. And they say that he's been, he has a... We've heard him speak blasphemy against Moses and God. And I was just like, I was just like, okay, hold on, hold on. So blasphemy is against God. So how can they, how can they blaspheme Moses? How can anybody blaspheme Moses? Well, you can say, oh, but it can also be the words that means like just talking not good about it. Or it reveals some things that these Jews don't understand. That Moses is not God. He represents the law that God had. But speaking against Moses is not necessarily crazy, which he doesn't either, because we're going to reread that next time. But it's understanding Moses better. That was just the thing that stuck out to me. Um, that they seem to be more intent on uh, preserving their traditions than to actually figure out what Moses actually said and what God actually wanted them to do. But to protect that, they seize him and they drag him before the council. And then they stop uttering these, this man's never ceased to speak against this holy place. And like, like I think I, I like that one council, it's like, well, some of this might be true because, because, uh, um, not, it's not totally true because they're witnessing false. But some of it might be true because he's probably trying to explain how Jesus is the fulfillment. And that the temple is not that Jesus has come. And so now the temple and the true, very true presence of God that was in the beginning with Adam and Eve. But because the sin was broken, then God chose to come in the tabernacle and then in the temple. But we saw at Pentecost, he came, he actually rested on his people. So Stephen explaining, you no, know, God has actually come now to be with his people. And the church, the gathered now of believers, believers in Jesus Christ, are the temple. So that could have been what he's saying. We'll, we'll look at what he says next time. So then they say that Jesus, he, they actually mix Jesus' name and will destroy this place and change the customs. But then something very interesting is happening. Uh, you remember the picture I've had of the St. Peter and the 71 people gathering there and the high priest. And then you have Stephen, he's standing there and his face is glowing. It's kind of an ironic turn of events. Where God is, where it seems like, I was reminded about, actually this thing, he's talking all bad about Moses and all these things. But whose face lit up after being with God? Moses' face did. So it would seem that as they're accusing him of both slandering Moses and God, it would seem that God is making his face glow for the Sanhedrin to say, guys, you are all wrong. <laughs> I am actually very aggressive. With Stephen, and you are missing the point totally. I am with him. 
so that's so that's kind of what that's kind of what um, that's kind of what happened here in chapter six, and then we'll have Stephen's speech uh, next time, uh, which is the longest speech, uh, longest speech and longest sermon um, we have in Acts. Um, it's very good. It's a good historical walkthrough of the Jews and history. Um, I'm going to share... Oh, I actually had that verse here. That's, that's where we see Moses. He, Moses has been with God on the mountain. And he comes down. And he doesn't really know, but everybody else know, notices that his head and face is shining. Because he had been his God. Um, so you might sit there and say, so what has that to do with me? Well, that's a good question. And I'll try to come with the, the things that I have been thinking about and I think what the text asks us to do. Um, we can start, start with the whole shining part. So... Stephen's face is lighting up, saying that, showing everyone that God is with him. He's been with God. We are to shine. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Um, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he says in Matthew, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it on a basket, but on a stand to shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who lives in heaven. So we know being in, our, in, in this text and through, or even from Exodus, we see that if we, or if God is with us, it would even give like, being in his glorious presence would actually physically make people shine. Jesus says here, well, you are those lights. I was the light when I was in the world, but no, you are the lights, and you are to shine. You are to shine that people would see their good, your good works and give glory to God. So that's some of the things that we're called to as a body. And we also see that being acted, not acted out, but that seen seeing here that to be uh, be happening in in what we've seen in Acts so far. They will be in witnesses, they're being lights. They're doing what Jesus has asked them to do. And they continue to do that. Even in the face of harsh persecution. Because us us who've been reading the story so far, we know this is not a good place to be. It's not like Stephen's gonna get a fair trial. We've already know that this is not a, this is not like going to be a fantastic great time where they're going to listen to him. Um, and then we have the this verse from the Philippians also. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in this in in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ, this is Paul saying, uh, that I may be proud that you have run, that I, that, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am proud, poured, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This goes along with Acts 6 and also with Joseph picking the songs about suffering. Because they received, like, we're supposed to <laughs> do things without grumbling or complaining. We're supposed to be what's actually a light in a twisted generation. It's interesting, in this part also, he, and you can hear, I mean, and you can almost, when you remember what Jesus says, he says the same thing. So, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then we have Peter saying the same thing at Pentecost. Save yourself from this crooked generation. And now we have Paul saying it the same. Same teaching they have from Jesus. So what are we supposed to do? Well, again, from Jesus, you're supposed to shine as lights in the world. How are we supposed to do that? Hold on to the word of life. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to what he was teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, that he's coming back. And then, and then Paul enters into the suffering part and saying, I just want to know that I did not run in vain, in vain when I was teaching you. I want to know that you believe and acted out. And he says, then it doesn't really matter if I have to be poured out and suffer. Because I, then I will be glad and rejoice if I can see you guys following Jesus and being those lights. And you should be glad and rejoice with me. Because you are now following Jesus and being those lights. Like Stephen and the other people, despite the persecution that they would have come. So that was the point one, like to have to be lights in the world, despite opposition. There's a small part I just mentioned smallly that what are the things in your life that if you're like totally honest, sometimes actually you care more about than Jesus? And why does that happen? Because I think with these religious leaders, they become more concerned about actually doing, doing stuff for God or doing things at the temple than actually worshiping worship Him. So I don't know what that might be in your life, Something you use in that, or had too much time on, someone you use too much money on, someone you, you use too much thinking on. Because those things will crush you, or they will crush, or you will crush them. There's only one God, one Lord, one Savior we can worship that can handle it, and that's Jesus. Everybody else in the Bible refuses worship. People cannot handle being worshipped. You can see that from pop stars to anything. People blow up their lives or get blown up if they get worshipped. So the point from last time also, what happens when we are confronted? Are we cut to the heart or are we cut in two? Well, it's just a short, just mentioning it again because, because what happens here, like, um, 
Stephen, he confronts these people and says, you got to repent and believe in Jesus. And they're like, uh, no, we don't. And then what happens? They're not, they're not repenting, they're not turning to Jesus. They're like this council last week. They feel cut in two. What happens when you feel cut in two? I'm going to cut you down and I'm going to kill you. So we have to watch ourselves. Do we take, do we take our sin and run to Jesus? Or do we take our frustrations out on our spouse, our kids, the school, whoever else is super annoying or frustrating? Our co-workers, group members, people here in the church. This is a reminder that we all desperately need Jesus. Because we often probably don't even notice when we start acting sensually towards others. Because if we feel like cut, we might have a tendency to cut back. We might not do it physically, we might do it in our thinking or in words. So how do we stop that response before it actually happens? That a chance Somebody brings something to us, it's a chance to repent and glory in Jesus instead of wanting our own righteousness. Sometimes it's helped to me if you, in your head, put on the armor of God and when you put out the, when you put out the breast breastplate, I can't speak this, breastplate, breastplate, it's a breastplate of righteousness. That means I don't need to be right. Because Jesus is. Therefore, if somebody wrongs me, I can be graceful. Sometimes that's good to remember. Then there's like this big theme that I'm not like a really back a big fan of, but I think it's really true in here. Our conflicts a chance to grow. Some of you hate conflict with all of your heart. Some of you don't really mind so much because you like like figuring things out, and it can, you can see that it, uh, afterwards it's going to make you better. But here we see a, something that could have been a huge conflict it split the church, but it's addressed. And it actually becomes an opportunity to have seven more people serve. And what happens? The church expands. More people become believers. It's not my personality, <laughs> necessarily, uh, that I just see conflicts like this. This is a great opportunity. Now we can grow as a church. I probably was like, why doesn't this just work? But... <laughs> But, the thing is, is Satan going to win this thing? Or has God opened something so we actually can grow from it? Even this corona time. Are we just going to survive it? Or will we come out stronger from this? It's a way where God can use Romans 8.28 that even the things we don't understand at all can be an opportunity for him to work and actually grow us through it. One of the, the last really huge big theme and come here, uh, that was for the repenting part. Um, 
But one of the huge themes that we also talk a lot about here is that everyone has a place in the body. I, I used to do it under all the announcements. I had the picture of a gift. If Jesus Christ is saving you, you have a gift, a spiritual gift that you need to use. And not only that, he also created you, so you have gifts and abilities to serve and to serve the church, but also to, to go out with So this is really super important, I think, believe in this part, that in Christ you've been given by the Holy Spirit talents and gifts to build up the body and for the common good. That means you actually have a place in the body. And your place is not better or worse, but you have one. You weren't created to do nothing. You weren't saved to not do anything. You are here to use your gifts and your abilities in the fellowship and the outside. Super important that we know and believe that. <clears throat> and so let's read, uh, read the verse. And he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, we need to know even more about who Jesus is. We know we are not we're supposed to mature, to mature manhood, to the mature statue of fullness of Christ. That we will be no longer children tossed to, to and fro by the waves and carried away about every wind of doctrine or human cunning by craftiness of defeatable schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined together by every joint which is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow and it builds itself up. We're supposed to be a body, a body of Christ grows, but we only grow when we all work together and actually fit where we are put. And then we're also so bold that we will speak the truth in love or else we will not mature. So we can all be super immature if we just, if we do, if I'm just the foot, and I'll always be the foot. But I do see, I see, do see. That becomes very metaphorical. But I do see, I do see the leg muscle doing something stupid. And so I go to, instead of saying something to the leg muscle, who's going to ruin me as the foot and the rest of the body, I just don't say anything. Well, then we all going to stay immature. If I, if I, as a humble foot, come to the leg muscle and say, I love you, but the thing that you're doing is really damaging yourself and us, then we have a chance of growing. Back to, is a conflict always bad? Can that conflict actually grow us? In this case, the conflict can grow us. And we can be a stronger body, and we can be a mature body. Because you can go to church, you can sit on the bench uh, 40 years and you can be just as immature as when you came the first day. So this is a call for us to to press in to actually to actually love one another not just to pretend 
Loving one another is also a little bit what Susan said. And it's also looking at Jesus when he washes their feet. It's being willing to serve and suffer wrong for the good of somebody else. And that will mean that we actually can grow into the fullness and joy, the depth, the riches of the depth with of the love of God. That's mostly what I had, and then I have this summation of, well, what is the whole Bible about? What, what is the good news that are so good about Jesus? And it's a little bit of what I said, like, and I think I was at least said it at one point to the pastor's meetings, like, well, God actually wanted to be with us from the beginning. He creates us in un, unbroken fellowship, Adam and Eve. But because of the sin, it's broken relationship. And then God relates to different people over time. And then he chooses a people to come and live amidst in a tent. And then later on, it becomes the temple when David wants God to not just live in a tent, but as a building. In both places, the true presence of the true God comes to live and dwell there. But in Christ, the image of the invisible God comes to dwell among us. The true image of who God really is. The true God comes to dwell among us. He lives a life that they should have lived in the garden, but didn't, the life we didn't live. He knows why he's here. Because from the beginning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have a plan to redeem people for themselves. So the good news of the Gospel is that although we have fallen so short, God brings in, enters in, so that we might be drawn back again to Him. That He actually comes through the Holy Spirit to recite in us and the pure goal of all things is that when we die and when he comes back fully unhindered dwelling with God again. That, that is the price God himself. That, that that will be our goal and our presence and our prize. That God, he actually his presence, the way we were created to be with him all the time. We here are supposed to shine as lights together and not together, grow through conflicts, grow through love, and show the world the light, who the light really is. Jesus Christ and the glory of Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We just, I mean, we, sometimes these are overwhelming times that we look at, and we look at the apostles, and we look at Stephen, he like, he looks like a superhero, he's got all the right words, and the power, and grace. And maybe look at ourselves, and be like, well, I don't really know what to say, and so, don't know if I really 
believe conflict's a good thing or can grow us. I mean, I might even a light when you're saying it. But, Lord Jesus, I really pray at this point in time we would come. And again, overwhelm us with the beauty of who you are. The grace and the mercy you've shown so massively to us. And for anybody who's doubting your goodness, Lord, I pray you open up their hearts and their minds. Tear away any veils. Open up our hearts to the deepest places where we really need to know this even more. Help us, Lord, to believe that you actually want to come and dwell in and through us. That despite all the things we've done wrong, you've decided that you will save a people for yourself. That you will have us be witnesses. That you will have us be lights in this world. Not through our own power, but in your power. So we ask that you can do that right now in us and through us. Help us to love you enough we would love one another and speak the truth in love and that we would be built up to see the fullness of who you are, Jesus, to be our head, Lord, Savior, and guide. And Lord, I pray you fill us all with your presence and your Holy Spirit to, to be and understand that you have given us the power in your spirit to be the witnesses and do exactly what you want us to do. Ask you to forgive me and all of us when we totally forget this all the time. Um, Lord, remind us. Help each other. Help us one another to remind us that you have us for a purpose and a place to glorify you and to reach out that many more will get to know who you are. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and the joy that we can have when we see you rightly and how much you have saved us and, and done drawn us to yourself. And Lord God, we are, I'm so humbled that you would do so much to redeem the people that you wanted. So we thank you and praise you. Thank you that, thank you that we are able to meet and encourage one another. We pray for all the people that couldn't make it today for the sake for the people are just like super tired. What would you give them energy? May we not forget one another during the week. Help us to bless one another with you, your presence, we ask in Jesus' name.